Thanks for listening to The Real Life Podcast. If you live in the Erie area, we invite you to join us in person on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. or live on Facebook and YouTube by searching Real Life Assembly. Now, here's this week's message. So we are starting this series through this month of September entitled, I Love My Church. And I love my church because of a lot of different reasons. And again, you heard some of them today and over the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear more and more of that. And it's really Bill Hybel's quote that is going to set the tone for our entire series this month. He said, the local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. I hope You believe that today. Can you say yes today? That we are not a second thought, but we are on the forefront of what it is that God wants to do, certainly in our world and in our community today. And so, as you heard Pastor Bailey say, we want to welcome you to our 14th year as a church. And we're going to spend these next couple of weeks uh, not only talking about the past and, and what got us to our present, but excited to share about some of the things that we believe really strongly that God wants to do in us in our future as well. So if you have your Bibles today, or maybe you want to jump on the Real Life app, uh, you can join along with a lot of the sermon notes. You'll see most of them on the screen, even more that we're going to make available on the app for you now, and you can kind of work on that all week long and be praying for your church, amen? Be praying for your leaders here. Be praying for your pastors that we want to know that everything that we do is going to have the touch and the power of God's spirit in everything that we believe that he is calling on us to do. But really to set the tone for our series and for our words today, we read this in Matthew chapter 16, verses 16 through, I'm sorry, verses 18 and 19. Again, probably words that most of us are familiar, and we are going to kind of dig in deep a little bit and understand what the meaning is for us today as Jesus shared these words. He said this to his disciples, and on this rock, I will build my church. Everybody say church. On this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overcome it. How many believe that today? Yes? And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. For whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be... Few verses have caused more controversy than the verses that I just read to you. A lot of people have dug in to say, well, who is the rock that Jesus is talking about? Who is the person on which the church is truly being built. And the controversy has led to disagreements over how churches and their church government are run. Who is the ultimate leader or founder of the church? How is it that things can happen on earth the way they happen in heaven? And so there's been a lot of debate, a lot of study and challenge around Matthew chapter 16. And in the context of this verse and the ones that precede it, Jesus is probing his disciples for what the people around the area of what is northern Israel, uh, really what was Jesus' hometown. This is where they're at when Jesus begins to ask this probing question of his followers. And I think a question that I want to challenge each and every one of us with today. Jesus asked them, who is it that people, who is it that they say that I am? 
And so from the crowd, there are some muttering responses that some say that you are John the Baptist, that you've come back to life. Some say that you are Elijah or Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus looks at his followers specifically, and he asks this question of them. And the same question, I think, that can be posed of every one of us. But who do you say? Those who are of the house of God, those of you who hear my words, those of you that have chosen to follow me, but who do you say that I am? And again, added to not only this idea of who is the rock that Jesus was talking about upon which the church would be built, that there is more controversy that takes place. And and whether that they didn't know really what Jesus was asking, maybe they weren't sure what right response that they should give or maybe as we have looked through scripture and it's always been Peter that's been a little bit more forward than the rest of the disciples everybody seemingly stayed quiet and Peter pipes up and he shares this on behalf of all of the 12 you are the Christ you are the son of the living God who is it that men say that I am well there seems to be a lot of confusion to that but me who I know you to be as a follower of Jesus, this is what I am assured of. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And in that moment, Jesus approved Simon for rightly identifying. And here's one of the main points for us to highlight today. You see, he recognized that the disciples did not humanly figure out that truth. But God, Jesus told him that this did not come from your heart, but this came from God the Father himself that birthed this into your spirit. You see, Jesus wasn't just looking for some self-affirmation. He was helping them to understand that the hope of the world is to the power and the person of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that the help that we sang about today, that I can speak Jesus over my family. Somebody say amen. I can speak Jesus over my sickness, over my depression, over my anxiety, over my fear. Because there is a name that is above every other name today. I speak the name of Jesus today. Yes. And it is the foundation and the hope of which we exist and why we gather today. Jesus told Peter, listen, great job. But this wasn't of you. This was God the Father inspiring you and empowering you with truth for this moment. And with Simon's confession, he not only gets a new name, but he gets a new mission as well. Here on the spot, Jesus changes Simon's name to Peter, the name that we are much more familiar with this guy. His name in the Greek actually means Petros. It means a small stone. And from that, Jesus releases him to be a world changer. Listen, some of you might think that you're just small, that you're insignificant, but with the confession of your heart, That Jesus lives with inside of you. That he is the Christ, the son of the living God. God not only wants to give you a new name, but God wants to give you a mission today. God wants his people, God wants his church to be world changers. And that's exactly what happened to Peter that day. And what I believe God wants to do for us at Real Life. And ultimately what God wants to do in and you you and I today. 
As we read Matthew 16, we recognize that there is a little play on words and it's hard for us to dig in maybe to fully understand and why the controversy has raged over all these years. Why is it these two rocks that Jesus talked about? Who is this rock and that who is the rock that the church is founded on? Well, we know that uh, certainly living in this community that the Catholic Church interprets this rock of which the church is built on was in reference to Peter himself who would be the first pope or the beginning of the apostolic succession. That they believe Jesus authoritatively initiated or instituted this unbroken line of successors from Peter and the other apostles of the early church all the way through now the current bishops of the Roman Catholic Church. Ultimately, we realize today that it is the Pope in their belief that has become the vicar or the earthly representation of Christ himself. And it is he who exercises Christ's authority in teaching, ruling, and in sanctifying the church. But is that who Jesus was talking about? That upon Peter, that I am going to build my church. Upon that rock to where the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, I can tell you today that I don't believe that that's what Scripture is teaching. I don't believe that's what Jesus meant. We can believe that Peter, although still being this small pebble, this Petros, but it is the rock, it is the Petra, the the word change, this bedrock that is revealed by Peter's confession of Jesus, of who he is. That we realize that the church is established and based upon our confession of who Jesus is. That he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Can you say amen with me today, church? You see, this is the important part when we talk about the mission and the church, the local church, being the hope of the world. It was Peter's confession that lays the bedrock up to where the church has been established, the church has been built, and the church will continue to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's what we need to know, that it was Peter's confession that gave him favor But it did not give him the authority. It was Peter's confession of Christ. You are the Christ. The son of the living God. And with that bold confession. Jesus gave favor upon Peter. To become a world changer. And to begin this heart of reaching out to those who are in need. And establishing the work of the gospel everywhere they went. It is without doubt that we see Peter as he plays a prominent role of salvation and certainly a historical role throughout the New Testament. Much of the Gospels in the first half of the book of Acts are being led under the power and the vision and the direction of Peter. He is the first one to announce the Gospel to the Jews in Acts chapter 2. After the power of the Holy Spirit falls on that group in the upper room, it is Peter again filled with the power of the Holy Spirit that begins to describe the first salvation gospel message. The Bible says that thousands of people came to Christ that day. Together with John, he confirms the inclusion of the Samaritans, those who were the left out ones, those who were hated by the Jews, that God allowed Peter to be part of one, to be able to welcome them into the family of God. And then finally, he is instrumental in the conversion even of the Gentiles. 
Gentiles, those of us who are non-Jewish, to know that we can be grafted in, that we can be adopted into the family of God. How many are glad for that today, amen? That God has made a way for each and every one of us. And I want you to hear me today, that a lot of us are Petroses, a lot of us are small stones, but by virtue of our confession that Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever, you, the Christ, the living one, that God can take a bunch of pebbles and he can form together the walls of the church of Jesus Christ, whereas the gates of hell will never prevail against it. God has a mission for the church. The local church is the hope of the world today, friends. You see, although many of the apostles were active, we do see that Peter's predominance was unmistakable in the New Testament. But who is it truly that the church is built upon? There is no doubt that Peter would have been a catalyst for that day. His confession forming the bedrock of the kingdom directive. But when we realize that word Petra, it was the same word that Jesus used a few chapters earlier in Matthew chapter 7. When they were asking about the power of the kingdom. And Jesus said, it is the foolish man who builds his house on the what? On the sand. But it is the wise man who builds his house on the what? On the Petra, on the rock, on the bedrock, on the foundation of Christ. You see, our life not based on Christ is going to be washed away. It's going to find the challenges of life to take us down. But when our life is built on the bedrock, the Petra of Jesus Christ, the winds are going to blow, the storms are going to come, but my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness, amen? On Jesus Christ, the solid rock I stand. That is the hope for every one of us today. God has a mission. God has hope. God has favor. God has plans. God has answers. And God has mission for every one of us. There is no real controversy we realize today because Peter himself in his own book, 1 Peter chapter 2, helps us declare. He said the church is built on numerous small petroses, these living stones, who like Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and whose confession of faith becomes the bedrock of the church, that of which the gates of hell will never prevail. Listen, the church is not going to go forward because I say of the plans and the desires that I have for real life or the ministries or the areas of which you serve, which is all wonderful parts of the mechanism of the church. But the church is going to go forward. The gospel is going to go forward because we believe that there is nothing more, there is nothing greater that we can put our hearts and our minds and our efforts to than to be able to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ until all have heard that they are loved of the Father, that they are cared for by the son, that they are infilled and empowered by the spirit. Let me tell you, when the church carries that message, lives are forever changed. Make no mistake about it. The New Testament makes it abundantly clear that Christ, Jesus, is both the foundation and the head of the church. This local church, our desire is that we be the hope to the world around us today. You see, not only is there any discrepancy in our theology because we realize that even Peter himself decries Jesus as the chief cornerstone. 
And Christ himself is called the chief cornerstone. Most of you, again, would probably have some knowledge of that cornerstone. I think we think of them today more as a a memorial or a highlight to the building, but truly in architectural terms, that the cornerstone of any building is what the entire building is anchored to. It provides not only its point of foundation, but it provides the overall orientation of the building as well. However the cornerstone is set, that is how the building is going to be laid. You see, there is no greater foundation than Christ coming and giving his life for us, of him becoming the foundation. And as the power and the gospel of Christ goes, so the power of real life, so the power of the local church goes. He is the head. He is the foundation. He is the hope. He is our pastor, amen? He is the strength of our heart and our life, and he is the vision that guides and directs us today. The fundamental truth is, if Christ is declared as the cornerstone, then there can be no other upon which the church is built upon. It is most likely that all believers, on whom which Peter is one, just like you and I, we are the stones. We are the petroses, which make up the church, and we have been anchored to the cornerstone, Jesus Christ, our leader, our pastor, our hope, our director today. You see, I believe today the Bible teaches us that the rock is the gospel. The rock is the belief and the confession of our faith in which everything that God has done for you and I. I recognize looking on a crowd like this today that not all of us have the best of stories. I realize there have probably been a lot of twists and turns along the way. In fact, probably humorously over the years we've joked about some of you that if you could look back five years 10 years ago, you still can't believe that you are in church today. You still can't believe that that God could get a hold of your life. The direction and the disaster of which you were looking at, of what everybody said that your life would come, and then one day, upon the confession of your faith, with the words of your mouth to recognize that you were loved of a father, that Christ wonderfully came into your life. For some of you, God had to do a lot of cleanup. Come on, somebody say amen. Somebody, God had to work 24-7 just on you, right? He might even have to sacrifice a Sabbath to clean some of you up, right? to recognize, wow, where I had been, but today that we become part of being redeemed, part of the hope of the church to say, listen, I'm not who I am going to be yet, but thank God I'm not what I used to be, that the hope and the power, the redemption of Christ, his blood over me has washed me and made me clean, and I am changed forever because the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen, you didn't change because I changed you. You changed because Jesus came into your life and washed you and made you clean. And today, now, you might not be everything you're going to be, but God has vision and God has mission in you that as you lay on the path and as you move in his direction, God's got amazing things still in store for your life. The rock is the gospel and our confession that there is no one else but Christ, the Son of the living God. You see, the promise to the church is that it is on us to continue to carry the heart of God, the hands, the feet of God, that we have the eyes, the love of God, that we assume the promise that has been given to the church, that we continue to speak the name of Jesus. 
Jesus continued this seemingly controversy when he said to his disciples, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You see, there is something that follows our confession. If you think that once you give your life to Christ or you say a prayer at an altar and that's it, you're missing the entire point. God didn't save you to keep you safe. God saved you to make you a warrior. God didn't save you to keep you on to the sidelines. God saved you to thrust you into the game for such a time as this. Woo! That's good news today. Yes! God wants you, every single one of you, with the confession of Christ in the game. And with that, what he gave to the church, what he gave to his followers, are the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to say and tell them, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. You see, the church is God's kingdom here in this present age. But the kingdom is God's program for the future, which one day is going to be inaugurated at the second coming of Christ. You see, the church, our role, our mission is that we are to be proclaiming the message of a victorious king. May I say a soon coming kingdom of Christ. Amen? So what did Jesus mean? What are the keys for the church? Christ promised to Peter and to each and every one of us that the key is a sign of authority. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. When you have keys, you have authority. But more than anything else, what keys provide us is access. It's the purpose of a key, yes? Why not carry keys if it doesn't provide access? And so what Jesus is saying to the people of God, that I am going to give you access into the kingdom of heaven. You see, this is really important for us to understand. If I was going to give someone here today a key to my house, what I'm basically saying is, is that I'm giving you the authority to be able to come into my house. That I'm giving you access. Access has been granted for you to come into my home. But with that access and with that authority, I also realize it would prevent an opportunity for you to bring others into my home as well. As long as you have the keys, you have access. You've probably all had, when Debbie and I were younger, we had a family that were pretty well off. And uh, they oftentimes would go on longer trips of vacation and they would ask if we would house sit. How many of you when people have a lot more stuff, when you're just like newly married and you got nothing and people that have been around and they got a house full of stuff and they give you keys to your house and they say, hey, we'd love for you to house. You don't have to think very long about that, right? I mean, they got a big refrigerator. He got a big screen TV. They have a swimming pool. Come on, somebody say amen today. We would love to house sit for you. Give us those keys. And it wasn't, but often almost every night, we'd be calling people up. Hey, yeah, we're just hanging out in the pool. Why don't you come on over, and we're going to have a party. And we would do that again and again. Why? Because we had the keys, and with the keys, we had access. And with access, we had authority. And with that authority, we had the opportunity to invite all to come over to the house. You see, I want you to think about that in spiritual terms this morning. Peter's mission was to give people access to the kingdom by the preaching 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ. By living the gospel of Jesus Christ. By believing in the power of God through the living church. And guess what? That is your mission and my mission as well. Listen, if you're not hearing anything else I'm going to say today, I want you to hear this line. This is the main point. This is the explanation of Matthew chapter 16. Not only is the church built on Jesus Christ, but his power and his vision is that he give you and I the keys of the kingdom. But these keys are not used just so that you and I could come into the kingdom and enjoy everything that God has done for us. It is used as an invitation to invite those to come into the Father's house with us. You have access. How many know there are still many that are waiting outside to come in? God has given the church access to the kingdom. And God forbid that we keep these keys to ourselves. Peter was told that he would have the keys of the kingdom and that whatever you would bind on earth would be bound in heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, whatever you loose on earth would be loosed in heaven. You know, there's been a lot of confusion, I think, over the years with this binding and loosing thing. Maybe you've grown up in a church. I, I know because we have lost the, the cultural connotation of, of, of how these words were being used with Jesus and his followers. Listen, I grew up in church my whole life. I grew up in revival meetings and special meetings and spirit breakouts and all kinds of stuff. And, and I've heard people use this binding and loosing for all kinds of stuff in my Christian experience, right? I mean, they're binding this, loosening this, loosening this, binding this. I mean, they're just kind of all over the place, just kind of letting everything fly. Most of it was completely out of context of what Jesus was talking about. So what does Jesus mean? That he's given us the keys to the kingdom, and whatever we bind on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever is going to be loosed on earth is going to be loosed in heaven. Why did Jesus say that? Well, when we understand why Jesus would say this, we go back to his training as a rabbi or his, him training those followers as, as a rabbi in that day. And a rabbi would often use these words meaning to exclude or include, to forbid or to permit. But here's the point. It was all in context of the gospel. When I was growing up in some of those revival services, people were binding the devil, loosening this, you know, going after this, taking care of that. I mean, they were all kinds of stuff. But what Jesus wanted the church to know is that the keys of the kingdom were for you and I taking access to the gospel to everyone who has yet to hear that they are loved of the Father. He wants you and I to give access to our world, that there is room at the table for them. Jesus said, whatever you will bind, whatever you will believe for, whatever you go after on the sake of the gospel, heaven is going to fight for you. However you want to open up your hearts, your mind, your soul, however you want to bless, however you want to give in light of the gospel, heaven is going to surround you. Heaven is going to go with you. You see, let's be honest, the context of the gospel, how many know the, con the gospel builds, but the gospel can also break? 
How many know sometimes Pastor Jim brings it good? And sometimes Pastor Jim brings it good in a bad way, right? Like a hard way. Right, you're like, oh, like that's good gospel, but just like you can stop preaching at it any time, Pastor. Right, we know the gospel builds, but the gospel breaks. The gospel restores, amen, but we know the gospel can offend, right? When the searchlight of heaven starts to touch on some of those areas, right, and all of a sudden we want to back off, or we, who do you think you are? How dare you? We know the gospel restores, but the gospel also can offend, the gospel draws, but we know the gospel can also push away. People want to live in sin. People want to live in their own choices. Whatever is bound on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on earth will be loosed in heaven. The gospel commends, but it also condemns as well. There is no other way. We're talking on our morning Bible teachings. How do we know that that Christianity is the only way? How do, how do we know how, how braggadocious of us to be right and everybody else to be wrong? Well, it's very simply, we're not right because we say we're right. We're not right because this is the only way. We're saying this is the only way because Jesus said he is the only way. The context of the gospel brings life but can also banish to darkness. Jesus said the door is wide open, but there is going to be a day coming when the door will be shut. Thousands of years ago, God rescued and gave Noah a plan. You see that ark, which I know some of you have seen the representation not too far from here, was not just to be a rescue boat for Noah and his family, but the invitation, the opportunity was for whosoever will. But they all wanted to live their life, living it on themselves. They wanted to repel against the, the, the invitation that Noah would say to come into the boat and live. They all laughed and ridiculed until the raindrops started to fall. And the Bible says that God, are you with me? The Bible says that when Noah and his family entered the ark, that God shut the door. Listen, I'm here to tell you, believer, those of you that are maybe still straddling the fence, those that still want to live your life Monday through Saturday and make an impression to God and to others on Sunday, that someday God's going to come back, and when it's over, it's over. Just like he did in the days of Noah, God's going to shut the door. Playing with the gospel, playing with the things of God, listen what that God is offering to all of us today. Today, the Bible says, is the day of salvation. Somebody say yes with me today. Today is the day to know that the gospel, although it might be hard to swallow, is the only hope that we have of our eternal destination of being with all that God has done for us. Our mission as a person, as a follower of Jesus, as a church, is to promote the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we are to live the gospel. We are to share the gospel. We are to do it whether people choose to respond or not. That we are living stones. Do you hear that? That's why Peter said, that's why he used the word living stone. I'm going to explain that as I close in just a moment. That we are to be filled with the power of God's presence, our hearts, our eyes to see what is it, Jesus, that you are saying. God, show me the things that you love and help me to love those things. They're against my spirit. They're against my nature. I would rather please me and not others, but God, let me see the world through your eyes. 
A couple of weeks ago, Jocelyn and I went down to Pittsburgh to watch a pirate ball game. Well, primarily, we went down to watch the Red Sox play the Pirates. So I'm in, a, I'm in a little dilemma, right? Because, you know, kind of through Jocelyn and we lived in New England, like that whole Red Sox thing, but I'm a pirate guy from the time I'm, a, you know, a baby. So, and obviously, you know the pain and the agony, but for a couple of years in the pirate history, right, that we get to celebrate. But that's been a long, long time. So we're walking down the street. That, that night, there were probably 30 or 40,000 people, right, coming to a ball game. The streets are littered with people going towards the ballpark. And there on the corner of the entranceway into the stadium, there is a guy with a kind of a huge kind of billboard next to him, and he's got a megaphone. And, and you could hear it kind of from a ways off, and it was muffled, and you didn't fully understand everything that was going on. And maybe you thought it was a guy selling tickets or selling water or food or souvenirs for the ball game, but... But the closer that we got, and I'm sure that you've all probably had this experience somewhere in your life, I began to hear about Jesus. I began to hear about sin. I began to hear about turning your life from darkness and following the light of Jesus and everything that is provided for us. And as we got closer, here is a man in the midst of 30 or 40,000 people going to see a ball game telling them about the power of Jesus Christ. Listen, I'll be honest with you, maybe like you or within me a little bit, there's somewhat of a little bit of a mixed review inside of me. There's somewhat, we, we just kind of put ourselves in event mode, activity mode. Like we could kind of, you know, push back in our sanctity of the cleanliness, the sanctification of our faith and to say, is that really appropriate for this kind of setting is this really where we should be presenting the gospel? Is this how truly we should be presenting the gospel in the midst of people just going out with their family and enjoying a night at the ball game or the ball time? And in the midst of that, as we drew closer, I think the Holy Spirit, and maybe it was even light of for today, grabbed my heart. When was the last time you were so bold to stand? Maybe even the church scoffs at you. Oh, so inappropriate, so foolish. You make the church look bad. Really? And as the Spirit spoke to me, let me say it to you. When was the last time you were so bold with your faith that you didn't care that the gospel had to be presented? The gospel had to be shared. I don't care what I look like. I don't care what I sound like. I don't care who's going to laugh. I don't care who's going to say, oh, that's not how the church does it in the 2022s. Really? Listen, you and I wouldn't sit in such a pretty building today had it not been for the pioneers and the disciples who were willing to be put to the torch the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
I don't think they were willing to say, well, I don't know how we do this uh, against the Caesars and the Rums. Uh, maybe we should write an email, or maybe we should put it on a track and slide it under their door. No, they were willing to boldly go and declare that we will serve no king but Jesus Christ. And whether it means we'll be thrown to the lions, we'll be put on a pit, that we'll be dismembered, whatever it is, there is no other God. There is no other Christ. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So I'm not asking that that would be real life's approach, but I want you to know that we are living in a day and age where God is asking for more out of the church than us just comforting ourselves on a Sunday morning, but that we are taking us, whatever is bound on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever is loosed on the church is going to be loosed in heaven as well. The call, the mission of the church is to invite them to come in. You see, let me finish with this. The presence. So we're talking about the mission of the church. So why do we exist? You know, we had to answer that in the big picture of the church, but let's just kind of bring it home. But why does real life, why was it important that real life began 14 years ago? Listen, when I came into town, there were a lot of other pastors going, why do we need another church in Erie? They didn't want us here. They, they, weren't, they weren't cheering for us. They're kind of wondering why, because a lot of churches are just intent on building their own kingdom, and they're threatened when another church comes in to mess up their kingdom. So why did real life have to exist? Why did we have to come into existence? Why are you here? Why are we still here? We are here to represent Christ in our... That's why we exist. Let me take you just a few more chapters back as we begin to wrap up this morning. In Matthew chapter 24... Jesus again with his disciples. Now he's in Jerusalem. If you've seen some of the architecture of what the old, the New Testament or what the the, the temple was built as, it was a monstrosity of a building right in the center of Jerusalem. It was the place, the center, the hub. Kind of today, like in America, we build football stadiums. These, These most recent football stadiums are four and five billion dollar edifices. When we go there, we are bedazzled with all of the technology and things that we can experience in that. Well, that's in some sense to the Jew what the temple was all about back in Jerusalem. Everybody had to come to Jerusalem. You had to come to the temple at least once in your lifetime to see what this spectacular edifice was all about. And so as Jesus left the temple, the Bible says, He was walking away when his disciples came up to him and called his attention. I want you to read this with me. And called his attention to the building and all of the outbuildings of the temple. And in their heart, they're saying, you see what we've built? You see what we've done? You see how big this thing is? Do you think how special this thing is? Have you seen the LED light and the video wall that we put up? Have you seen the shuttles and the golf carts that we use in our parking lot to bring people into this building? Being a little facetious here. But they drew his attention to the building. And they said, do you see these things? And Jesus said, truly I tell you that not one, say it with me, not one stone. Is this the Petros or the Petra? No, this is another word. 
Jesus is saying this stone, these earthly man-made stones, I tell you this truth, that not one will be left on another, but every one of them will be thrown down and crushed. You see, here's what I want you to tell, tell you today. If we are trying to build our kingdom, this is what Jesus thinks about it. Every stone is going to get torn down. Every edifice is going to be destroyed. Anything that we try to do that's going to make us look good or do better for us, Jesus said, I've got no, I've got no care for that. I'm nothing about the buildings. I'm nothing about the edifice. I'm nothing about the outside. What I want is what's inside and what is real. I guess the caution for us is that we don't revel in our buildings. They are necessary, but they are not central. The church is not man-made. We are formed by the Spirit of God. Maybe Joss and Adriel can help me. So in chapter 24, the disciples draw Jesus' attention to the church building. And that's oftentimes what we think about the church. We drive by, wow, there's so many churches. But what Jesus is calling on you and I, that if we are going to be the church, it has nothing to do with the building. It has everything to do with those who are in the building. And so Jesus takes this kind of slam to his disciples when their thought was about the building. And he says, let me tell you what the church is truly all about. You see, those stones, they're going to get crushed. They're going to get broken and forgotten. But that which you have done for me will never be lost, will never be forgotten. And he continues the dialogue and helps you and I to this day. Why does the church exist? Why is real life here? Just one chapter more. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate people, one from the other, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and he will put the goats on his left. I guess here's my point to you and my question today, church. Here's how we know if we are on mission today as a church. Jesus says this, Then the king will say to those on the right, Come, those who are blessed of my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom the kingdom that has been prepared for you since the very foundation of the world. And Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. Listen, I know that you have heard these words, but I want you to hear how Jesus followed up. The disciples were all about the building, all about the programs, all about, listen, how, how can we get our name in lights? Like, look at this edifice. And Jesus is saying, no, you got it all wrong. Don't really care about this. But if you want to know what I care about, let me tell you, this is really with the heart of God. This is what I care about. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. And you invited me. And I needed clothes. And you clothed me. I was sick. And you looked after me. I was in prison. 
and you came and visited me. Like here's the cool thing of the church, just doing the church. The righteous said, Lord, when did we see you hungry? And we fed you. When were you thirsty and we gave you drink? When did we see you as a stranger? And when did you need clothes and we clothed you? When did we see you sick or in prison and we came and visited you? And the king said, truly, you are the church. When you have forgotten about yourself. And you have done it to the least of these, my brothers. For if you have done it unto them, you have done it unto me. You see, this is how I believe we represent the gospel. This is how today that our hearts are moved by the things that move the heart of God. This past Wednesday, I was in a meeting downtown with Vince Smith, who was here a few weeks ago with the Foster program. If some of you were here, you know that as Vince finished that service, I kind of hit him on the chest and I just said listen I, I don't know like what's happening today but but like there's going to be a connection between what you're doing for foster kids around the state of Pennsylvania and what ultimately we believe is going to happen greater here in Erie and somehow real life is going to be a part of it and so they asked for pastors to come on Wednesday and we sat in a meeting downtown and Again, heard some of the statistics of kids that are hurt and broken. Family is non-existent. And how is it that the church can respond? There are 400 kids in Erie County alone that are in the foster program. And while we were in that meeting, the representative from OCY was in the building and began to ask and see how this could even be possible. And she said, my phone is blowing up because there are four teenagers that are now going to be moved out of their placement and there is no place for them. There's no place for them to go. Sometimes these foster kids have to go to shelters because there's no one to take them in. My heart was crushed and broken. Christy Heath was there and we were just kind of like, how can this be? And then I got a text from Amy on Friday to say those kids that were being displaced, they're our track kids. They're the kids that we've invested in year after year and we just took them to camp and their life right now is being turned upside down. And Within a few hours later, John and Amy said, we've got to do something about that. And they said, personally, we have got to do something about that. You see, just like when I heard the guy down at PNC Park, and again, my first kind of human spirit would have said, I don't know if I, I, don't know if I go with that. And sometimes we hear about these great needs, and it seems so overwhelming. But can I tell you, God's just not asking one of you to meet the needs of the community. God's asking his church, little by little, piece by piece, that we are building the church of Jesus Christ. That you are a stone. That you say, Pastor, I, I might not be able to do this, but I could, I could provide help here. I could, I could supplement here. I could do this here. And together, piece by piece, block by block, we are not building a physical building but we are building and uniting the heart of Jesus Christ. And we're not just talking it, but we're exercising the heart and the love of Jesus. 
You're going to hear more of my heart in a couple of weeks as we talk about where is real life's future. And I can tell you that this idea, not only of our track camp happening once a year, but we are going to be invested more in helping to rescue kids in our own community. I'm impassioned for us to be able to do more, just like those that are beginning that process right now. Church, believe me, I'm going to be coming to you hard in the next couple of months. We are going to save kids. We're going to show them that they are valuable, that they are a living stone. So bow your heads with me today and let's be moving on what it is that God wants to do, that we are moving in his heart today. Seek his spirit today right now with me. Let him carve you into the stone that God wants to use you to be in this place. God rescued you, if God saved you, if God delivered you, if God healed you today, if the gospel is power as unto salvation today, then let it sink into our soul. Today we're going to ask God again what it is His heart and what breaks His heart. What is ever bound on earth is going to be bound in heaven. Whatever is going to be loosed on earth, that is going to be loosed in heaven. We don't have to have everything that we need. We don't have to have millions in the bank. Our Father's got everything that we need. If we would have the heart to reach out and to go, can I tell you, God's going to supply the need. God's going to supply what it is for us to reach out and to, to rescue lost and hurting people. Don't ever fear the task in front of us. Fear that we have been unwilling to move as God's spear was moving on our heart to go. God, today, rescue us from our own selfishness. Rescue us from our own building our own edifices of living easy. God, let the gospel break us today for lost and hurting people today. Come on, I want you to sing with Josh just one more time. You know these words today, but I want you to make it personal in your heart and in your spirit today. I want God's heart to be our heart today. I want the, the story, the mission of real life. 
It's not our story. It's not my story. It's not your story. It's his story. It's his heart. It's his vision. Why does real life need to be here? Because we have to represent Christ. There are still lost and hurting people. There are people in this room today that need Jesus today. That's why we're here. That's why we're just unashamed of the power of the gospel. To do what it takes. To go where we need to go. To pay whatever cost it's going to take. To not be fearing about, I don't know how we're going to do that. Listen, we might not be able to do that. But God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all we can ever ask or hope for. Listen, if it's his, when did I see you? When did this happen? When you've done it to the least of these, you've done it. You've done it unto me today. Come on, sing it with us today. about what you'll continue to do in real life in the years ahead. I love a church that's willing to hear the hard news. I love a church that's willing to respond to a need. I love a church that's willing to say it's not about us, but it's about lost and hurting people. I love my church who believes that we are the hope of the world. And before we look too far into the world, God, we can look to those that are right here among us today that are hurting, that are broken. And then we're going to say, Pastor, what can I do? How can I help? So God, let this be the bedrock. Let this be the foundation of what real life was built on and how we continue to serve in the days ahead. God, I just simply pray for the miraculous. I pray for you to help lead us into some areas that would scare the life out of us in the natural. Some of these connections and opportunities to say, I don't know if we're big enough for that. I don't know if we have enough money to do that. I don't know if we have enough people to do that. God, that's where we want to go. Scare us out of us. 
so that we can see what you are more than enough, that you are more than capable of doing with your church. God, our prayer is that we are living stones, that we are going to build the church of Jesus Christ and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. God, bless your church today. Bless your people. God, empower us as never before. We pray this in Jesus' name. I don't want to say amen to end it, huh? How many have been touched by Jesus today, yes? Come on, let, let, let's let the real work begin, amen?